What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. A great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Welcome to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cutt. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, we have a band that is going to blow your doors off. <laughs> <laughs> I make no bones about it. No, they're a this wonderful a group. a great, great live band. The Bell Rays, Lisa Kakaula, the lead singer, an amazing combination of Tina Turner and Iggy Pop. I mean, I've never seen a modern-day vocalist embody those two amazing live performers as well as this one woman does. She's a firebrand. She and the band came in here. We had a chat with them. They played a couple songs. It's a great performance. We're also going to dive into the new album by Tom Petty. Hasn't been heard from in a solo, guys, in about a decade, or at all, with the Heartbreakers for about four years. It's an interesting album. Lots to talk about. And uh, we're going to look at the latest by Pharrell Williams, who's probably best known as a member of the production team, the Neptunes, who've worked with Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears and all sorts of people like that. But first, as always, we have some rock and roll news. Personality Crisis from the New York Dolls. What a band. What a short-lived career they had. Two albums in the early 70s, and then they disappeared in a haze of drugs and mismanagement. 32 years later, after that brief incendiary beginning, the New York Dolls are back with a new album, a DVD about their late bass player, Arthur Killer Kane, and a tour. Uh, They're doing the talk show circuit. They're out on the road for the first time. Nobody... Least of all, the lead singer in the band, David Johansson, thought this would ever happen again. But a little backstory about the New York Dolls. Why are they important? Why do they matter? Why do we care now whether they're coming back? Well, that song sort of says it all, doesn't it? In 1974, in the heyday of James Taylor, and yes. The rock and roll verities at a time when rock and roll seemed to be losing its way. As you said, uh, you know, prog rock was taking over. There was a lot of pop sheen entering into the radio spectrum at that point. The Dolls took it back to that earliest days of rock and roll with, uh, you know, little Richard just screaming over a pounding piano. 50s rock and roll. Brill building pop music. Motown. 
Those were the ingredients. They were presciently signed by a genius and unheralded fellow in the music industry yes. by the name of Paul Nelson, right. who was a Minneapolis writer. Paul uh, died uh, two weeks ago. He's the man who first discovered Bob Dylan. You know, found him in Dinky Town in Minneapolis playing at coffee houses right. and began to write that this guy was the future of folk music. Later on in his career, Paul became a record company A&R man and signed the New York Dolls and said, this is the future <laughs> of rock and roll. These thugs from Staten Island cross-dressing as women, very ugly women, yeah. who can't really play their instruments. High heels and, and the leather <laughs> and, and the makeup and the lipstick. Badly applied lipstick all over their face. But playing these amazing three-minute songs with big, huge choruses, you know, melodic and at the same time just sounding like a subway train, but the tracks don't sound too stable. It sounds no. like this train is going to derail any second. You know, one and of those that was part of the excitement of it. Absolutely. One of those rock critic cliches is the phrase buzzsaw guitar. And I, I got to say, I never really understood what that meant until I listened to Johnny Thunders. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Johnny Thunders is, is truly the progenitor of that buzzsaw guitar. You would later hear it put to great effect by the Sex Pistols, who, interestingly enough, a guy named Malcolm McLaren tried to save the Dolls late in their career after their second album, very uh, symbolically titled Too Much Too Soon, was the last album they made. Mm -hmm. McLaren tried to manage them and would put them in front of giant communist flags. <laughs> yeah. This was his idea to hype Hammer and them. sickle, yeah. He just really put the nail in the coffin. And, and the dolls and were done. And then, the red vinyl, too. You know, right, right. The communist and, outfits oh, on. Just, it was horrible. <laughs> and then two years later, McLaren goes and takes everything he learned with the dolls and applies it to the Sex Pistols. Buzzsaw guitar of Johnny Thunders and that incredible vocal, which is, uh, it makes Mick Jagger sound like an opera star. You know, <laughs> it, is, it is rough, it is hoarse, it is harsh. Probably one of the best gravel baritones in rock history of David Johansson, the third key member, Sylvain Sylvain. Kind of the pop songwriter. If Thunders was Keith Richards in the distaff, twisted, transvestite dolls to the Rolling Stones, then uh, Johansson was Jagger, of course. And I guess that, that uh, Sylvain Sylvain was kind of the Mick Taylor of the group. Mm -hmm. They burned out so fast and basically made no commercial impression, but their influence is incredibly profound. Mm -hmm. They presaged punk rock. They basically embodied glam rock, this sort of decadent, uh, trashy take on rock and roll that was uh, really popularized by David Bowie and T-Rex at the time. But the right. dolls were right there with them. But a guy like Morrissey, mm -hmm. you know, who goes on to form the Smiths, one of the reasons that Morrissey decided that rock and roll was going to be his life was seeing the New York Dolls on British television in the early 70s, and his life was literally changed. He never forgot that day. That brings us to the present, because in 2004, Morrissey was curating a festival in England, and he was given the opportunity to book pretty much anybody he wanted. Who did he want? He wanted the New York Dolls. Now, David Johansson, for 30 years, has been pretty dismissive uh, of the doll's legacy. What did Johansson do after the doll's? The first incarnation was Buster Poindexter, yeah. who really launched the whole Lounge Lizard revival, doing cool stuff, you know, because of Hot, Hot, Hot and its obligatory place in every wedding in the world. You know, we can think of him as a cheese ball. But Johansson was doing, like, serious, cool 1920s, 30s cabaret lounge music. It was really, to see Buster Poindexter live mm -hmm. was one of the greatest treats in the world when you were growing up in Manhattan. Between Buster and the Dolls, he had a, a, a solo career that was very credible. He wrote some great songs, did some amazing shows, and then lately he'd been doing these great kind of acoustic gut bucket blues shows with an incredible band and singing that material. Mm -hmm. so, so Johansson has always been important in the music industry. Right. The Dolls, during their brief span, had two drummers. Both of them are now dead. Arthur Killer Kane, the bass player, is dead. Died shortly after that initial reunion gig. 
And Johnny Thunders, of course, is one of the most famous heroin, infamous heroin casualties in rock history. He's dead. Yeah, how do you do the dolls when, you know, more than half your band is dead? That's the weirdness about this. Uh, Morrissey gets them back for one gig, and they claim, Sylvain and, and Johansson both say, that suddenly the offer started pouring in for more dolls gigs. And essentially, they kept accepting these gigs. They started to get together, formed a band, got some other guys, a bunch of no-name guys who were Dolls acolytes off oh, the streets. one of them was from Hanoi Rocks. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, basically a pickup band, a bunch of Dolls imposters joining two of the original members and touring the world, basically. Plastic, plastic Dolls? For the last couple of years. Plastic Dolls, call them what you will. They got a record deal. New York Dolls are now signed to a heavy metal label called Roadrunner out in New York. They have a new record out now called One Day It Will Please Us to Remember. Remember even this. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> and they have a new single, Dance Like a Monkey. Let's hear what the New York Dolls circa 2006, as opposed to 1974, sound like on Sound Opinions. <laughs> The New York Dolls circa 2006 from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. The album's called One Day It Will Please Us to Remember Even This, and the song is called Dance Like a Monkey. Uh, pretty witty. It is David Johansson's take on the whole intelligent design versus <laughs> evolution debate. It is the best moment on the album, and that's why we played it for you, because we don't want to torture you. I don't see how this can possibly be called the New York Dolls. Because it is not. The Stones, without Jagger or Richards, either one, are not the Rolling Stones. Many people would say, Keith Richards first among them, that they're not even the Rolling Stones without Charlie Watts. Certainly the New York Dolls without Johnny Thunders aren't the New York Dolls. I think you can make that argument, and I think it, it can stick. I was willing to give them a chance to prove themselves, because I love this band so much. Sure. Johansson, the mouthpiece is still there. He still well, sounds like David Johansson. He's never sung a bad note. Yeah. I mean, he's never sung a good note, either, from, <laughs> from you know, good singing. But that's a compliment. Kind of, yeah. Right. It, it's a compliment. I think that if he was coming back with Sylvain, but they were taking it somewhere new, but also reclaiming their past, mm -hmm. there's nothing says we don't want to hear him sing Personality Crisis right. in 2006. But I don't want to hear him say that the songs on this new album are the equivalent of uh, Pills or Personality Crisis. And, and Jim, I think I'm, I'm a little troubled, too, by seeing them sort of slip into this flashy trash guys again. He's 55 We're 55 now. 55-year-old guys, and we can just sort of slip into this pill-popping, yeah. lipstick-wearing you know, swagger that we had when we were a bunch of bums from the Lower East Side in our early 20s. It's kind of one thing it's to not see the same thing. a really ugly guy from Staten Island at age 20 wearing lipstick and fishnets. Mm -hmm. But it's really something sinister to see this guy at age 55. After he played, remember when he played the New York cabbie in Bill Murray's right. Scrooged? Imagine the cabbie in Scrooged, okay? This is not a pretty picture, mm -hmm. folks, right? I got to say, Greg, on the trademarked uh, Sound Opinions buy it, burn it, trash it record review scale, this, this is a trash it and not 
in the good sense of the doll song, trash. Musically, if it, you just take it on the pure music itself, it's not a total embarrassment. It's not a horrible record, but it just sounds like carbon copy dolls. It sounds like a doll's cover band. Johansson's having a, not a personality crisis, but a midlife crisis. Yeah. And trying to recover his... So are you a trash it as well? I'm going to give it a burn it because I think as a curiosity item... People should hear it once. They'll never want to hear it again. But, but wait a minute. Now, if this if this had a different marking on the cover, yeah. if it said The Killers, uh-huh. would you care at all about You wouldn't care about this record. No, no you're not, right. I wouldn't care. Like. I wouldn't care about it because it, it sounds like another band trying to rip off the dolls. So many bands have been ripping off the dolls for the last 30 years. So you're going to give so them... So Johansson and Sylvain have as much claim to ripping themselves off as anybody else, but I'm not going to yeah, say the, it's the, worth the, buying. The heartbreak of it is that Johansson has done so much great stuff that didn't rip off the mm-hmm. dolls. You know, Jim, I think you're so offended by the notion that these guys would pass themselves off as the dolls that no matter what they did, uh, you would hate the music. And I understand that point. But the music itself is a pretty passable Dolls imitation. It's not a horrible record. You know, some of these kids might hear this and say, oh, that sounds like Jet. And what they'll do is realize, wait a minute, there was a much better version of this New York Dolls behind all of this, and Jet ripped off those guys. So go back and get those original two New York Dolls albums. Well, is by what they by really all means, do. they need to own the original two New York Dolls albums, but I think that they should definitely buy Jet or The Killers before they buy this Ursatz plastic Dolls. That would be Pharrell Williams on Sound Opinions asking if he can have it like that, and that would be Gwen Stefani saying, sure he can. Uh, why? Because as half of the uh, production duo, the Neptunes, along with his partner Chad Hugo, Williams produced No Doubt, as well as Buster Rhymes and Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears and many other people. He has scored a lot of not only platinum hits, but fascinating fascinating songs. This guy, I would say, after Kanye West, has been one of the most inventive producers in R&B or hip-hop of Mm -hmm. the last decade. And the Neptunes certainly have been a powerhouse. Got a spare million? (laughs) Hire the Neptunes. They will produce your record and craft a hit. Williams has made music of his own, as many producers do. You know I have a problem with producers making uh, records. Yes, you do. Because we've we've talked about this a couple times with people like Daniel Lenoir and T-Bone Burnett. But I championed N-E-R-D, Williams' side project. He put out several records under N-E-R-D as well as the Neptunes, making music of their own as well as producing other records. Now comes the first album that is credited solely to Pharrell. It's called In My Mind. It came out this week, which is why we're talking about it. Let's hear a track from it. We're going to play a a bit of Keep It Playa by Pharrell on Sound Opinions. Before you say it's cheaper to keep her, we consider and read her. Man, she might be the type that won't pee to feed her. She wants a little cheaper, a little margarita. Man, them draws coming off when she see the two-seater. So put your Porsche up, get your divorce up. I'm sure she's signing when she see me put my doors up. Man, the mansions on the water, motherfucker. Heel. She threw her heels in the ocean, so she stuck to chill. The truck is still hoping something between you. And now she laughing how she took your ass to the cleaners. Man, I'm on your side. 
not trying to inconvenience. Just know we got the meat, keys, and them plastic meaners. So keep it player, dog. Don't make me say it, dog. Do something drastic, know that plastic's everywhere, dog. If it ain't music or this money, I don't play it all. And she ain't either, so that means she doesn't weigh it all. Now we can both both sip or keep it player, man. And we can both pull the misses, keep it player, man. Or we can both ride our wrists, keep it player, man. Or you can scram, suck if you a hater, man. Them ladies going. Let's keep it play up from the new Pharrell Williams record, In My Mind. Uh, Pharrell, as he likes to refer to himself these days, I guess it's like Cher, Madonna. You know, one, one needs one, one name. name yeah. uh, suffices here. <laughs> uh, to my mind, that is by far the best beat. I mean, this guy makes a living creating beats for other artists. Mm-hmm. That is by far the most interesting beat on an entire album of 15 tracks that uh, Pharrell Williams created. And that is inexcusable. I mean, the fact yeah, that that's yeah. the only thing remotely interesting in terms of a rhythm track underneath him. The rest of the stuff is pretty snoozy. The rhythm beds are really amazingly underdeveloped. Lyrically, Pharrell is a pretty smart guy. You're expecting a lot more from this guy than talking about hanging out at the club yeah. and, you know, a world of come-ons and put-downs, which is essentially the subject matter of this record. And that's interesting, because in the past, when he's played the lover man, yeah. he's been, you know that movie, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, yeah. when Steve Carell picks up the girl in the bookstore just by saying nothing, trying to appear mysterious, when in <laughs> fact he's the biggest nerd? Pharrell used to have that kind of act, where, you know, I'm the nerd, but I'm a lover man. Here, he resorts to that tired hip-hop cliche of just, like, I'm hot stuff. And he has Gwen telling him he's hot stuff. And he's complaining about all the groupies on that song, Raspy Blank. I mean, it's just tired, tired stuff. Even the track with Kanye West, which you expected a lot more of, it's like both of these guys are, like, holding back on each other. Like, I'm yeah. saving my best stuff for my own At my the own same record, time you know? that, that all the lyrics in the song are <laughs> yeah. about, listen to us, we're making a number one single. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here we have two of the most creative minds in the music business, and there's no doubt that Kanye West and Pharrell Williams have basically owned R&B in the last, uh, you know, seven years. Yeah. Throw Timbaland in that mix, and you've really got but the see, three I, most creative producers in the business. I, I think Kanye's ruined Pharrell. Because by proving that not only is he a fantastically inventive, chart-topping producer, but a great, great artist who has a lot to say on his own, I think he raised the stakes on Pharrell. Because the NERD record and the Neptunes record were just the hip-hop equivalent of a garage band going to the garage, cutting a record in a weekend. They were fast and loose and sloppy. I liked them more than you. Yeah, we, you did. we fought about this. But that was part of their charm. It was like listening to George Clinton jamming, you know, w- w- with a great band. Or Prince, when he's really just goofing off at an after-hours show. Yeah. There's none of that here. Pharrell's trying to show that he's a star on his own, and he's not. Not like Kanye, no way. I gotta say, Gray, this is a trash it record as well. I agree. It's a trash it record. It's one of the biggest musical disappointments of the year so far. Later on, we're going to review the new album by Tom Petty, Highway Companion. We'll see if we feel any different about that album than we felt about these first two. We're certainly not holding back on the enthusiasm, Greg, for our guests who are coming up after this break. We're going to be here with the Bell Rays, Searing Hot Soul (laughs) Garage on Sound Opinions.
Welcome to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis of the Chicago Sun-Times. I'm Greg Cotta of the Chicago Tribune. We are here with the uh, Bell Rays Quartet from uh, Southern California. Hello, Welcome, hello. folks. Yeah. Riverside. Yeah. Absolutely. We got uh, Lisa on vocals, uh, Robert on bass, Tony on guitar, Craig on drums, back there behind the glass, but we can see him very Help. clearly. <laughs> You're kind of isolated. They completely walled you in, Craig. They forgot the straight jacket, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one of our favorite bands for quite some time in the garage rock underground, uh, and not to use that label because certainly that's not all you are. That's right. Um, but America <laughs> needs to know the Bell Rays much better, and that's why we wanted to have you on the show. Why don't we have you play a song, and then there's a lot of things to talk about. But okay. we might as well start with some music. Okay, cool. This is uh, Tell a Lie. Tell a lie. Very cool. Uh, the track that kicks off your fifth album, Have a Little Faith. And we're going on almost at the two-decade mark. We're not quite. 1990, was that when you guys came together? Uh, Bob and I, yeah, yeah. doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Tony joined the band in 95, and uh, 
We picked up Craig in 2004. Lisa, you and uh, and Bob are married for two decades now, right? Oh, God. Every time I hear that two decades, it just makes it seem even more intense than it already is. Actually, two, decade, two decades sounds less than 20 years. So. Yeah. yeah, That's just only two versus 20. And it is less than 20 years. It is less than 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> but more than 15. I find that inspiring, though, in rock and roll, where, where few relationships seem to in last life. more than... Life, well, yeah. that too, yeah. Not, not to mention traveling around with your spouse in the confines of a, a van or a tour bus or whatever. You know, sometimes you just need the time away. But mm-hmm. you guys are enforced. It's almost enforced that you have to be together. Well, he's uh, my best friend. Yeah. That's great. So, I mean, that, that really helps. I don't think this band would have survived had we not been married or best friends. It's mm. just one of those things, a labor of love. And, and also, we make good business partners. Mm-hmm. So we just lucked out all the way around. I, I feel bad for some people out there because they're missing some luck. Because yeah. we got it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's part of the story, too, is the, the whole DIY aspect of the thing. You guys haven't had a, help, a lot of help from the so-called music industry along the way, pretty much they from the start. They strong on yeah. our own. <laughs> they, yeah. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Exactly. But when you started out as a, basically the, the two of you, did you hear this, this sound in your head that this is what this band was going to be from the start, or, or did it sort of morph along the way into what it became? doing bands almost as long as Tony has and it's just like I've always heard bands that just did lots of different things I've always been big fans of like the Kinks and the Who and the Beatles where there's a singular sort of sound but it's the songs don't always lie in there you know the sound is a product of the people that are playing them but it's a different styles of songs and they do different things with the music and stuff and I've just always been a big fan of that. I've always wanted a band that could do this. Mm-hmm. You know? It's interesting because I think you came to the attention. You were in Southern California gigging there for, obviously, a good chunk of the 90s. And I know that a lot of people, myself included, became familiar with you as you started playing some music festivals, uh, specifically South by Southwest Music Conference in Austin, Texas in the late 90s. And it was like a revelation. Words started getting thrown around, Tina Turner meets the Stooges kind of thing. Uh, I remember after seeing the first performance, I thought of like a room full of paint thinner and then somebody bringing a blowtorch in there. (laughs) That was kind of my reaction. It was like, wow, that place just blew up. They're not going to be able to play any more shows in that club, you know? (laughs) So it was was an amazing performance. And you guys were obviously a pretty hardened road band by that point. We had played a lot of gigs, but not really on the road as much. Mm -hmm. We were one of those crazy bands that would book ourselves in three places in one day. You know, and just play. So we got a lot of road work that way. We were always ready to play. We always practiced, but we hadn't really hit the road for real until 99, 2000, right around that time. Mm-hmm. And we just knew, you know, if we're going to get on the road, we had to put on a show. Yeah. And, and the, the South by Southwest thing really helped. I mean, because it, it was the first time that some anybody out of L.A., I mean, you guys included, we got a lot of national press. It became a lot easier after that. But meanwhile, there's that whole period there where you're a band and there wasn't a whole lot of national recognition. What keeps a band yeah, what keeps together for that length of time? Absolute insanity. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody had to have yeah. day jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we're real stubborn. <laughs> we knew we were right. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest of the world would eventually catch up. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't really even about the rest of the world. I mean, it's one of those things where when we started doing the Bell Rays when Tony joined up and we did Let It Blast... 
we're like, all right, so we know what our market is because we had tried to get into so many South by Southwest before that and got, re- you know, we could make a shirt out of the rejection notices <laughs> that we got from South by Southwest for every time before that. So we figured, all right, we'll press up a thousand copies of Let It Blast and um, just kind of move on from there. The next year we'll put out our next record because we just had a lot of songs and we were just going to keep doing it. And that's the one that just kind of hit. So we had already planned on doing our own thing no matter what, Mm -hmm. even if it was just going to be doing it in L.A. You know, being stubborn and just kind of knowing that this is what we have to do. This is what we do. You know, this music and the way that we do it, and we know it's a good thing and we believe in it. Well, now, is it ironic? I mean, there's probably our listeners who aren't familiar with the kind of underground rock world where you guys are coming out of may know you from two different sources. One, that Nissan Xterra commercial, Uh right? Or two, the fact, Lisa, that you have become the voice to tap in a lot of different, you know, you toured with the MC5 mm-hmm. veterans, recording with uh, Crystal Method and having that, that huge hit, Good Luck, that uh, Basement Jacks did. Mm-hmm. So I guess I got a couple of questions from that. I mean, number one, are those things paying dividends for the Bell Rays? And number two, you other Bell Rays, is it kind of a mixed blessing that Lisa gets this attention without you guys immediately? Um, speaking for, for myself, Bob, I'm glad. I mean, you know, anytime you hear... Anybody with talent, you want to see him get out and be heard. You yeah. Know? I mean, and it goes for anybody, you know, especially Lisa. She's special, you know, yeah. and, it, and it's a good for him. They're doing some really cool stuff. And just for myself in particular, getting to see how they worked and what they did and their creative process even a little bit, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I ran back to the studio and it was just like, oh, they're doing this. I'm going to try this. But, you know. I mean, it does seem to be that the last uh, 12 or 14 months has been the Bell Rays kind of breakthrough. Well, it's, it's looking like that, yeah. Well, it's interesting because uh, we were just talking to uh, one of your sound engineers saying, this is the first time I can remember where an album is actually coming out and there's a tour booked around it and all the timing's working oh, out. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is really kind of the scary. first time that all of that yeah. stuff is... Yeah, and, it's the first time it's happened for us. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is I know there's a bunch of bands out there saying, that happened to us too, you know, where, where mm-hmm. everything just didn't go together. People, if they just understood the way that the record industry works, whether it's on the lowest level or the highest up, the timing is everything. <laughs> and it's amazing how hard it is to get all those oh, things lined up. Yeah. Oh, it is. And it's a blessing when it all comes together. Hey, we've been the next big thing for 10 years. And <laughs> now maybe we will be. <laughs> well, why don't you play another tune? What are you going to give us? Uh, this is Pay the Cobra.
Cobra from the Bell Rays. Have a little faith. Their fifth album. I'm Jim DeRogatis. The Sun Times. My partner is Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune. Got one of the best bands in America up here. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> little rock and soul. And we've uh, we've just heard two songs, and uh, I think you sort of see almost the range of the record. You guys have sort of been typecast a little bit by as a sort of that blast furnace, full on rave up kind of rock and soul thing, but uh, obviously there's a lot of different textures in what you guys are doing. For sure. Let's ask them about some of the typecasting, okay? Let's throw some words at you you get all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Garage rock. Rea- react to that. Mm. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have yeah. no idea what garage rock means. We should ask little Steven, because he says we're not it. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So Steve really? Van Zandt will put you on the radio? He will not play our nope. stuff at all. You know, I mean, he's lousy in The Sopranos, and he ain't that good with Springsteen, Okay. <laughs> Steven, you know, you don't play them, Sound Opinions does. All right, now this is a favorite word of yours, Lisa. Another one to react to. Diva. <laughs> I'm not one. I'm yeah. not one. But everybody wants you to be the everybody black wants, diva. Everybody wants everybody to be the next black diva. Mm-hmm. Even if she's some skinny white chick from, you know, some boarding school. Everybody wants that. I don't know what this big American fascination is with having a diva. Yeah. But like I said, you know. If you're if, black and you sing, you're if, a diva. Yeah, if you're black and you sing, if you're, you're a diva. Or any female with attitude. Or a, female a with attitude. They want that sassiness. Yeah. They just want that sassy. Well, you got some sassiness. I got some sassiness to it, but I got a whole lot more. (laughs) Yeah. All right. All right, Tony, what about this one? Detroit. Oh, man. We are from California. (laughs) Not not Detroit. In fact, we don't have any relatives in Detroit. We never lived there. We we never went to school there. They want you to be from Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of comparisons to draw the parallel further. A lot of comparisons to like the MC5 and and the Stooges and that sort of Detroit yeah, rock and soul thing. Thirty five years yeah. ago, and they want to compare you to that because yeah. you know a lot of well, let's face it, a lot of rock critics are nostalgic for that sound. You know, even if they well, weren't around for it originally, it's a great sound and it's an honor to be compared to the best. Right. Well, it also carries with it this supposition that the only time. That hard rock and roll, you know, has met up with soul <laughs> was in Detroit for ten minutes in the early seventies. Right. You know. Well, no, actually, I think it had met up a long time before that, and mm-hmm. people have just forgotten somehow that it's been sucked out of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. I think it's been a, a natural proponent. I mean, it's just been something that you needed. It, it was part of the recipe to make it really rocking and, and hot. I think what what they're really trying to get at with that whole comparison is the energy. It's got something that, that touches you, not just here and here, but right in that groin area. Mm-hmm. And, and it's honest. You know, we're not sitting up here trying to be the next whatever the major label has put all their money into or, or try to pose to be those things. We really are 
just a hard rocking band. Yeah. On this record, the other the other term that I was going to throw out at you as Jim was starting that laundry list of cliches, uh, lo-fi in terms of the recording quality and things like that. Yeah. To my ears, this record sounds as well done as anything that's on the radio, and it was done by the band. By um, Mr. Bob Venom. Yeah. <laughs> so what about that, Bob? Um, How do you actually go about the recording? You know, I mean, honestly, the first bunch of records probably are. Mm-hmm. If you walk in and saw what we were recording with, Compared yeah. to what, you know, most other people were recording with, yeah, it was definitely a lo-fi situation. This record, I really, really wanted to have that one criticism of all our other records. I mean, if you call it a criticism, you know, I just wanted to X that out. Let's really work on the recording aspect and not just kind of set up in a room as best as possible and blast out the tunes. Let's mm-hmm. actually sit down and make a recording. Well, it's got to be a tough thing, too. Time, budget, things like that. Those are limiting factors on a lot of bands, trying those, to make a oh, good yeah. quality that's, recording. That's the other thing. I mean, yeah. we had no money on those other things. So know. did you have a little bit more on both ends for this one? Yeah. Um, you know, that's the Nissan Xterra. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, yeah, Nissan. Yeah. Thank you, Nissan. <laughs> well, Thank I wanted to get Nissan. into that, yeah. Was it, was, I mean, that's, you know, yeah. p- people may criticize you for doing a TV commercial, uh, but the flip side of that is uh, it exposed your music and brought some cash into the band. That it exposed probably much music. It, yeah, it, it pays for, for what we do, you know. Now, were you able to document at all that people heard it and sort of associated it with you guys? And oh, did yeah. that bring any yeah. kind of positive We're effect? We're still documenting it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's an amazing thing, that commercial. Um, uh, we do want to hear some more music. Want to do one more? Sure.
All right. That's oh. the bell rays. We got Craig Waters on drums back there and Tony Fade on guitar, Bob Venom on the bass, and Lisa Kekala on... Uh, is Kekaula. it Ke- Kekaula. <laughs> on uh, lead vocals and maximum sassiness. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. And uh, uh, David Porter and Isaac Hayes are now wishing they wrote that song. Heck, yeah. <laughs> man, oh, man. Hell, yeah. That's, that, that now that's great. a great thing to hear. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Bell Race. It's been a pleasure having you here. Oh, thank, thank you. you. This is fun. Thank you. You are listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. When we come back, we're going to talk about the new Tom Petty album, Highway Companion, and I will have a Desert Island jukebox pick. Revolution, get down Revolution, get down Revolution, get down Don't treat me like I was born for nothing 99, ain't no number 99, ain't no number 99, ain't no number Don't tell me I can't, you know how I will grease I will eat, I will thunder in the street Petty, a new Tom Petty album, Highway Companion, it's called. His 18th album of a career that is now stretched to 30 years, Jim. It's almost uh, wow. hard I, to believe. Tom Petty's been around for 30 years. God bless Tom Petty. We, uh, I think one of the, the best moments we've ever had on this radio show is Tom came in and sat with us for two hours. Yeah, it was an extraordinary, years ago. extraordinary interview from a man who does not give many interviews, but when he does give them, he's incredibly insightful, articulate. He brings the goods. And I have to say, one of the most reliable album artists in those 30 years, Petty has made, as I said, 18 albums, only three of which are technically solo records, right. done without his longtime band, The Heartbreakers, one of the very best mainstream rock bands in America. This is a technically a solo Tom Petty record, basically Tom Petty with his producer, Jeff Lynne, and with occasional help from uh, Heartbreakers guitarist Mike Campbell. Who Basically, is Jeff Lynne, uh, Mr. ELO, and yes. uh, Traveling Wilburys. But but it's not just technically a solo album, Greg. He played everything. Yeah. He played all the keyboards. He played the, the drums. drums. I mean, uh, you know, Harmonica, guitars. And it sounds like it. It's, it. It sounds like a bedroom kind of record. It sounds like Tom Petty sitting on a couch with a guitar, uh, working through some of the travails of his 
his recent past. Ooh, uh, yeah. and, and some travails there have been. A devastating divorce and also the death of longtime Heartbreakers bassist Howie Epstein. This is the first chance he's had on a record to sort of process some of those events, and a lot of these songs seem to be filtered through that experience. Well, he, he really, he, he has said in a, the handful of interviews he's done that he was suffering depression. After Epstein, who he fired from the Heartbreakers because of heroin abuse, died shortly thereafter, I think Petty had some guilt. He was in dicey territory. The one thing that's interesting about Petty is he's not a whiner. He's always been, to my mind, one of the guys who has really gone out there and really enjoyed his work. He won't and back his, down. Yes, he won't back down. <laughs> he's always been attentive to issues like, you know, are my fans having a good time? Mm-hmm. Are they getting ripped off? You know, back in the early 80s, he was battling his record company about keeping the price of his of his album yeah. from going up to 898. The record industry as a whole wanted to raise the list price of albums and increase them from 798 to 898, and Petty basically I said, "Kill for that price Screw now. Screw you. I don't, you know, I'm not going to let you do this." Well, in the last DJ, the 2002 album was mm-hmm. all about how the music industry has betrayed him and us, the fans. Mm-hmm. A bold statement for him to be making and to do it so openly on a record on a major label yeah. uh, got him blackballed and a it lot did. of radio stations around the country most of the radio stations in the country that would have played this record are owned by clear channel so you can understand why they would be a little upset about it he never mentions the word clear channel in any of the record but it's clear what was getting his goat and why he made the record the way he I don't, did i don't think he was pulling any punches listen this is tom petty in the studio with us he was making it clear somebody said hey you've just been banned by clear channel right you know if i wrote a fictional song that worried someone enough to ban then i must have really you know hit a vein here and whoever is upset by it is naming themselves you know i didn't point them out right, right right i wrote a fictional story that's a little bit of tom petty from sound opinions in 2003 petty in 2006 as we said his third solo record 18th overall it's called highway companion let's get to some music before we uh, review this record jim we'll play a track called down south it is one of the lyrically most uh, <laughs> interesting and inventive, and it brings a smile to your face. He tracks is, is on the a record. funny, funny, wry guy. Mm-hmm. Listen to the lyrics on this, because he's making fun of going back to the South, where he was born and raised. He's going to wear seersucker, and he's going <laughs> to pretend he's Samuel Clemens. <laughs> yes, he's uh, a, a moment of comic relief on what is otherwise a somewhat of a bittersweet record. Uh, on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Headed back down south Gonna see my daddy's mistress Gonna buy back her forgiveness Pay off every witness One more time down south Sell the family headstone Drag a bag of dry bones Make good all my back loans So if I come to your door Let me sleep on your floor I'll give you all I have and a little more Tom Petty, Down South. I love that song. I love this album, Greg, Highway Companion. 
I'll start by noting that it's ironic, the title of this album, because we are talking about a master of the road trip rock song. Mm -hmm. Just think about all those Hollywood movies. Jerry Maguire, The Silence of the Lambs, all those scenes where somebody's driving... Banging on the steering wheel with a Tom Petty song, American right. Girl or Free Fall and playing in the background. Mm -hmm. You drive with this album on, you may well have taken a couple of uh, Ambien. It's not a good idea because this is a <laughs> – overall, with the exception of the songs that we played here, this is, is pretty slow and sleepy album, steeped in kind of bluesy tracks. There's not a lot of that upbeat, driving, propulsive, petty jangle. But overall, it's, an, it's a kind of a quiet acoustic album that is made from a dark place. Petty is saying in interviews that he may not tour anymore, certainly not extensively. He's, he's kind of had enough. The guy's only 55 years old, but again and again and again, the theme of time running out comes up here. Again, as a driving album, midway through, you get this song, Turn This Car Around, and it breaks down into this psychedelic freakout, mm -hmm. and he screams, turn this car around, I'm going back. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he's driving anymore. He's singing, you're flirting with time, baby, and maybe time is catching up with you. He seems to think he's run out of time. There's a, a song where he, he makes a very conscious nod to Neil Young's My My Hey Hey, where in Petty's version he's singing, I need a big weekend, kicking up the dust. It's, you think it's a party song, but then he flips it. If you don't run, you rust. Personally, feeling like we have some connection with him. I I'm a little worried for Tom. He's happily married again now, and mm -hmm. life seems to be good for him. But this record comes from a sad place where he seems to be saying, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. I have very little left to give. Those are all good points, Jim, and I agree with all of them. But I think there is a redemptive theme to this record. When you title it Highway Companion, you're kind of thinking, well, what's the Highway Companion? And at the end of the day, I kind of think it's this music that's his friend reaching out to him and pulling him out of the wreckage mm. of the last four or five years. These songs are kind of redemptive in the way he sings them and the way he plays them. There's almost a comfort, a strange kind of comfort he seems to be deriving from these tunes. Listen to his voice. He never seems to strain or wail on this record. It's no. almost conversational. There's really only, as you mentioned, very few tracks that I would consider like up-tempo. There's really only two, Saving Grace and Big Weekend, I think, in terms of the up-tempo tracks. The record seems to turn at the point you pointed out on that particular track, Turn This Car Around. Mm -hmm. That is the turning point of the record. And he's pulling out of something. Yeah. And by the end of the record, he seems to have gotten somewhere. It, it, it's not particularly clear where he's ended up, but it's clear that he's come out of some dark point in his life, and he sees a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel at the end of this record. I love the way this record is sequenced. I yeah. love the way he's singing on this record. I love the fact that Jeff Lynne, who is noted for his overproduction, mm -hmm. has sort of taken a step back and allowed this album to sort of breathe in a way that I think is, is really beautiful. You know, Lynne probably produced Petty's most famous record, Full Moon Fever, mm -hmm. you know, with the song Free Fall, and that's probably Petty's biggest hit ever. Here, Jeff Lynne pulls back and lets the music breathe, lets the sound of this record breathe. I'm amazed at Petty as a drummer. There's some moments on this record where you think, here's this guy, you know, that's probably like his fourth best instrument. Yeah, yeah. And he's doing some <laughs> things on the drums that make you think... This is really cool. It's hey, very understated, but it's very cool the way he's playing the drums. The guy is one of Rock's greats. You know, I think that, that he is so self-effacing and has such a genuine everyman persona. He is an everyman, as opposed to the guys who play one on TV, like right. Bruce Springsteen. I think it's easy to take him for granted, but like you said earlier, you look at the 30-year body of work, and it's just some amazing, phenomenal stuff. And I can't imagine. He keeps saying he's not going to tour, but look, this is one of Rock's greats, and, I, and he has yet to fall off at 
all. This is definitely a buy it album. It's one of the best records I've heard this year. Yeah, I agree. It's a it's a great record. It's a buy it record. And I think a case needs to be made now for Petty here in his mid fifties, continuing to make great work, great art, as one of those artists who belongs in the pantheon. Oh, absolutely. Along with the other people that we talk about, you know, who are sort of the greats who have had long sustained careers. No, one of the, one the, of the Neil best, Youngs of the world. Absolutely. You know? One of the best Petty American artists in that class. And Tom, you remember we said that because the standing invitation is out to come back to Sound Opinions. <laughs> you remember how much fun you had last time. You come on by, we'll make the case. We'll put you in the Hall of Fame. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Time to go to the desert island to pop a quarter in the jukebox and pick a record that we can't live without, at least today. And it's Jim DeRigatis' turn. Well, Greg, you were riding me for being harsh on the reunited New York Dolls, or the plastic dolls, as I like to think of them. It, it comes from a position of, of truly being disappointed. Betrayal. You, know? you sound betrayed. I, I am betrayed. <laughs> I love the dolls. I love Johansson's solo effort. Everything he's ever done. He was the very first rock and roller I ever interviewed. I was a, uh, a kid in college on the uh, New York University newspaper, and I interviewed David Johansson, and I was happy to do it, and I was in awe of the guy, and I still am in many ways. I just don't necessarily want to see him at age 55 wearing lipstick. When I talked to him way back in 1982, it was uh, for an album called Live It Up, which was a live album that he'd recorded in New York City, and I saw that show. I was underage. I snuck in. <laughs> Nevertheless, I was there. When you saw David Johansson in his solo incarnation, man, it was just this this fireball of energy. The guy was just explosive on stage and the very best song. When you'd, you'd go see Johansson, you could see 10 shows in a row and they'd all be amazing, but you'd wait each and every show for the song Frenchette. He made his solo debut in 1978 with a self-titled record called David Johansson, but he's definitely one of those performers who was always better live. And I think this record, Live It Up, from 82, captures that energy. The highlight of the night would be Frenchette. It was this epic song. It was, it was very out of keeping with punk because it was a long track that started very gently with this kind of piano intro and built and built and built, not unlike a lot of Bruce Springsteen songs, although, you know, not being a Springsteen admirer, I always preferred to think of it like a yes song. Like, you know, this <laughs> oh, was David God. Johansson's version of Close to the Edge or something. It really is one of Johansson's wittiest lyrics, Greg. You you played Dance Like a Monkey, but here he is. He's punning on this idea. Something isn't French, it's Frenchette. And he isn't in the diner, he's in the luncheonette. And something is <laughs> leatherette. And it's not natural, it's naturalette. And, and, you know, this kind of metaphor goes through the whole thing. And it builds and builds and builds, and it becomes this explosive rock thing, and then it drops back down. And, like, at the end of the show, he was covered in sweat, you were covered in sweat, and <laughs> Life just couldn't get any better. He wrote this song with Sil Sylvain, mm-hmm. his partner in the New York Dolls, along with Johnny Thunders. They were capable of this kind of brilliance after the New York Dolls. They should be capable of this kind of brilliance today. You know, Johansson always kept making music, not necessarily making a lot of money, in between doing acting stints. You know, he, he was in Scrooge, like I said. He did a memorable turn as a very creepy character in Oz. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that. Poor Sylvain actually was driving a cab. For years, right, right. he was driving a cam around New York City. But, man, I'm glad they're back together. I'm glad they're writing songs. I'm glad they're making music. They have every right to reclaim their legacy. David Johansson, Sylvain Sylvain, you guys call me when you write another song as good as Frenchette. Here it is on Sound Opinions. You call that loving Frenchette. 
French, but it's just French. I've been to France, so let's just dance. I get all the love I need in a luncheonette and just one glance, so let's just dance. I can't get the kind of love that I want or that I need, so let's just dance. I can't get the kind of love that I want So let's just dance and I'll forget That is Jim DeRogatis's D.I.J., his Desert Island jukebox, David Johansson, in his solo incarnation with a great, great song, French Jet, indisputably an example of what the Dolls might have been able to do. Should have been. If they'd really put their minds to if it. If it hadn't been too much too soon. Yeah. Apparently there's not enough of their minds left to be able to write a song <laughs> that good anymore, but hey, that's, that's a, a value uh. judgment. You know, next week we're going to be back with more music news and record reviews, Jim. Uh, we always have a great time on this show. I see next week being no exception. Absolutely, Greg. It is a crime that we're allowed to do this every week. Uh, and we have some people to blame for that. Tori Malatia is our executive producer and number one hero. Todd Bachman is our managing producer and director. Matt Fingerspiegel is in the producer's chair. Associate producers are Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. Dino Armiros gives us legal help. Joe Dassault gives us technical assistance. And Mary Gaffney engineered those firebrands that are the Bell Rays. Oh, yeah. And Jim Russell is the world's biggest Peaches fan over <laughs> at American Public Media. <laughs> and I'm going to go straight for the luncheonette to have some of David Johansson's friendship. And uh, maybe we can have David and Sol Sylvain join us there and say, they, guys, they, this is what you need. They're talking about wanting to come in. I don't know after that review. <laughs> but uh, well, I think we can set them straight. 